Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk executive producer Rob Perra. At a recent Food Tank live event in Chicago at the Hatchery, Grace Wong, food reporter at the Chicago Tribune, chats with Raya Carr, the events coordinator and shepherdess at Mint Creek Farms. They discuss ways to help support local organic farms by sharing the funds needed to start up and level up. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much, Food Tank, for having us. Um, I'm Grace. I'm with the Chicago Tribune Food and Dining Team, and I'm so excited to be here with Raya Carr. Um, Raya, can you tell us more about yourself and Mint Creek Farm and all that good stuff? Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be filling in for Beth from Green Acres. We've actually known each other for years at the farmer's market. Uh, and it's so much also an honor to be here at the Hatchery's location. I had been to a Hatchery event uh, a few years ago now at the old location, and I'm really excited to see what's going on here and look at how nice it is and where it is. Um, my family's farm, Mint Creek, is 90 miles south of here, out in the country uh, in Ford County, Illinois. And we distribute our farms organic grass-fed uh, meat and eggs and honey, primarily in Chicago. And we actually distribute from a warehouse that's less than 10 minutes from here in this ward. Um, so it's especially exciting to connect uh, in this part of the city that I love and that has been supportive of my family's farm for decades now in Chicago. Um, so... I guess with that, um, a little more detail, we raise um, beef uh, or cattle for beef and we raise lambs, we raise pigs, turkeys, uh, honeybees, chickens, sometimes ducks. Um, and in addition to the farmer's markets, we uh, distribute to restaurants, so we work with chefs as well. And we do home deliveries with our own delivery van. Um, and we do farm dinners, um, hence the mention of event coordination, because that's something I've been focusing on lately. So we partner with chefs from Chicago, as well as local musicians, and they come out to the farm um, to eat the food in the context of where it's grown, which is a really special thing. Um, yeah, kind of going back to the sheep and pigs and... Um, if you get a chance, go on their website and watch the video because it's so cute. There's so many baby animals. Um, can you tell us more about, um, I know you've been doing this your entire life. Um, what changes do you feel like you've seen over the last couple decades or so? Well, uh, the weather has been getting a lot less reliable. <laughs> Um, and but, it, but in addition to that and the seasons, um, over the years at the farmer's market, I've seen folks really gain awareness about what organic means. It's like we're, we're leveling up, and that's kind of a double-edged sword. So it's common now, like most people agree, a high percentage. I think I saw a study that was like in the 90s of percent that would prefer to eat organic food if they could. But so now the fight is keeping that meaningful, defending the certification, um, and bringing more, more nuanced questions um, up when it comes to marketing our food and shopping for it. Um, so I guess I've seen increased awareness, but I've also seen increased greenwashing. What does that mean? And um, what do you guys 
do that kind of pushes that organic movement forward? Well, um, we, my, my family and so many other of the farmer's market farms have um, kind of a difficult situation because we're producing the food that we're selling, but we're also in a sales, marketing, and even education role because there's so much information to share in general. We've become, as a society, so separate from our food. Um, and something that I, I wanted to, to make sure and share about tonight was like some of the environmental impacts of food from a farming and agriculture perspective. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, we chatted a little bit beforehand. You were talking about having more of a holistic approach, um, not just one thing, not just animal welfare or um, just looking at an environmental impact, but kind of looking at everything as a whole. Yeah, so when um, Jose was talking about the impacts inside and outside of the, the person that was eating McDonald's, it's, it's similar with agriculture. There's the health impacts, there's the, the quality of the nutrition in the food, but there's also the environmental impact, and it's becoming more and more clear just how important that environmental impact is. And my family actually started our farm um, now in 1992. My parents, Harry and Gwen, started our farm to restore native ecosystems, to restore the prairie, and to have the animals work with that. So instead of the cows, the famous cows that get such a bad rap sometimes for environmental damage, instead of having the animals being damaging, to have them work with the cycles of nature to uh, regenerate it. And then I'm accidentally getting into the whole regenerative farming, which is like a, another buzzword that I believe in um, and love to, to unpack. But um, can you talk specifically about what that looks like at Mint Creek Farm? Well, that looks like fields with perennials on them. So... Um, Having perennials is really important for soil health. And all farmers, whether they raise vegetables or meats um, or both, they need to think about their soil health. And it's becoming more and more clear that it's very hard, if, if not almost impossible, to have uh, a farm with healthy soil, continued fertility without animals. They do play a role in that. And so when you have annual crops, you have to... Um, balance that out with perennials. Now at my family's farm, we've been pretty totally focused on perennials. So all of the animals eat these pastures that are not plowed. They just regrow. And there's a great environmental impact to that, which is the, the environmental impact I was talking about that actually ends up having a, a net positive effect. It helps fix carbon into the soil away from the atmosphere. So in our little way, locally, um, just an hour and a half south of Chicago, we're trying to help counteract global warming. You know, as, as crazy as that may sound, like if, if we can all work together and in our own little way do this, um, that's the best we got. So, Well, that sounds amazing, but as a small farm, I feel like that's, that's hard for you guys because on one hand you're doing this amazing work, but you also still have to make money and feed and support yourselves. How do you compete with these, you know, giant farms, these giant, huge operations that you see? 
I feel like uh, my uh, growing up in within the farmer's market world and coming to the point where I am now, just about 30, has been teaching me how hard that is. I think I kind of took it for granted, like, oh, my family's embarking on this thing. Of course we can do it. Well, my parents are trying to do this, so that means it's possible, right? Um, but so many turns in the way, it's like, is this possible? <laughs> and one of the issues is, is money. I think that it, it's going to be increasingly important to think about economies of scale. We can't forget our small businesses because the big ones, can, they can offer cheaper products with their economies of scale that, that smaller businesses can't even com compete with. So I want to see more small business labels. So, so you're like, oh, this costs $2 extra. But I would rather support a small business because I don't want everything to look the same. I don't want to only have to choose from one chain or the other chain. Like I want individual, unique options that are, that are really doing, doing their best um, and offering variety. Uh, so, so funding has been an issue for the farm. And um, so, yeah, um, can you talk about your other um, passion, uh, the Iroquois Valley Farm? Yeah, I was just going to segue to it. So um, Iroquois Valley Farmland REIT is a real estate investment trust that helped my family's farm. And I work for them uh, part time now as well as the office manager um, and relationship manager there. So uh, I'm not totally unbiased here speaking about them. Uh, they refinanced my family's farmland and they're helping fill a, a much needed niche, which is farmer financing specifically for organic farmers. Trying to find banks that, that will work with you when, you when you work within the conventional agriculture paradigm that's only used to chemical monocultures of corn and beans in this region can be really hard. Um, and it was like a, a heaven send for my family's farm. I don't know if we would have survived without that financing because it just, it takes so much money to get especially a diversified business like ours, it's like not just doing one thing, it's trying to make all these different animals work together. And so each part of that requires its own business plan, its own funding, and to juggle it and you know try to vertically integrate it is, it takes a lot of resources. Um, and I, I, I'm seeing a greater understanding of that, like in the formation of Iroquois Valley and, the, and some similar funds, like um, I don't know if, if you all have heard of Mad Agriculture or the Perennial Fund, but they have been doing some work in the same area. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the the big question, especially with this topic of just and fair food, is you know people who aren't necessarily involved with the food industry or it related just to regular average Joe, like they're like, I want to be a part of this. I want to help. Um, and you mentioned you know those um, the farm dinners that you guys have and and. Um, what are some ways that people can play a role and help and support these um, farms that are doing the work that you guys are doing? Well, looking into your sourcing and really trying to know where what you're buying comes from can be overwhelming, but I think it's a very important thing. And for my family's business specifically, and for a lot of other small farms, you could join their community-supported agriculture program. That's uh, hugely important for small farms that offer it because 
it's it, um, you invest upfront, so it, it helps with some of that cash flow issue for the business. So if you if you're paying for a subscription at the beginning of the season, it, it really helps um, the farm economically, and then you're committing to them, and you're becoming a part of a community, and there's more connection um, and a, a sense of back and forth with where it's it's not just a transaction. It's it's way more meaningful than just going out and buying something randomly. And the product is just better. <laughs> yes, you will you will have a hard time going back to other lesser um, products. Um, and then another thing I wanted to mention you can do is with Iroquois Valley, um, the real estate investment trust that helped my family's farm, they just got a direct public offering going. So that means that they can take investors that are unaccredited. So it's not just for really wealthy people or foundations that can um, become a part of it. Also, individuals uh, with a minimum of $10,000 or so can invest in Iroquois Valley actually through their online portal. Um, so so going, going to the farms and going to the organizations that help the farms are, are things that I would recommend in addition to sourcing. I want to touch on one more thing before we open up for questions. Um, talk about your connection with Chicago chefs and restaurants? Um, so again, so much love for Chicago, having pretty much grown up at the farmer's markets in different neighborhoods. Um, I've worked at at least 10 different markets over the years, and I've met a lot of chefs. And chefs have a difficult um, role in sourcing because they are accountable to their customers who want, you know, affordable options and maybe some consistency. Um, but then when they connect in with farmers, the farmers are like, well, I only have this much and um, it's maybe seasonal and um, I need you to pay me more than you're paying Tyson for this, please. So... Um, it's definitely important to support those few chefs out there that are really doing diligence with their sourcing. Um, and I, that's something there's a lot of greenwashing with. There's a lot of like just choosing one name of a big farm and making it seem like it's something it's not. If it's not an organic farm and it's actually a really big farm, they, I mean, it's kind of a little bit deceptive if, if, if it's trying to seem like something that it isn't. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think of cellar door provisions in Logan Square. They're small and they do a really good job with sourcing. Um, and I think of uh, closer to here, I think of Rootstock and Cafe Marigine. I mean, there's lots of restaurants that do it, but you really have to, uh, you really have to look. Stay informed. Yeah. Cool. Um, do we have questions? We got... One on this side and one on that side, and then I think that's all the time we got. Well, first of all, your eggs rock. They're really great. So I'm a big fan. Now, um, I was listening to a lecture the other day by Douglas Ptolemy, who is an ecologist, an entomologist, a professor, a writer. And he had a stat. He's very against lawns. He thinks lawns are a waste. And he says they only um, sequester 120 pounds of carbon per acre per year. A prairie is 3,000 pounds per year per acre 
and a forest would be 3,500, a good healthy forest. What you're creating with your animals is essentially a prairie. Has anyone analyzed how much carbon you're sequestering? You know, whether or not carbon markets for farmers actually mature. I know there's a lot of efforts in that direction. That's a real selling point. That would make me happier as a consumer to say, this isn't only a rocking egg, but it came from a place that is actually sequestering carbon. I think we're getting really close to that. And it'll make us seem a little less crazy for doing it all these years when we finally get that recognition. Because to me, there's no question that that carbon is being sequestered. And there's there's plenty of studies been done. Like you're saying, you just cited one. Um, so there are programs in the works. There's not a lot going on with it, but one of them is uh, this this partnership that I mentioned with uh, Mad Agriculture. They're doing they're, they're using Comet Farm software um, to analyze ranchers and um, also crop farmers carbon fixing um, levels. But so my family got our 220 acres when I was two, and you can see that we have feet and feet and feet higher of topsoil than our neighbor that's been plowing every year in spring. And it's very diverse. And it takes years to build a diverse ecosystem, you know? So um, that is something that's hard for beginning farmers as well, and it's something to be cherished. So you mentioned a couple of things that I spend a lot of time thinking about. One is uh, that I, I believe, I, and I think maybe you would too, that the organic standard is actually kind of a shining example of government working well, even if there are issues with it. Um, but yet it can still pose a communication challenge where consumers, although they know more now, still might not fully understand it. And you also talked about regenerative agriculture. Do you think that that is something that needs its own standard? Or do you think it's something that we can grow without it? I think we need to work together and organic and regenerative can be two sides of one coin. There's actually, if you look at organic standards, there's a great deal there that um, makes for regenerative farming. The problem is more enforcement. We have some serious loopholes and enforcement issues in organic certification. And I do believe they're being addressed by other organizations that are trying to influence organics like the Real Organic Project. With regenerative ag, I would just hate to see people that generally are trying to uh, have similar goals to ever be pit against each other. I never want to see someone f that's that's standing with organics fighting against someone that's supportive of regenerative agriculture. That would just seem so crazy and counterproductive. So I think we need to focus on uh, making both better and that's a theme that has really come through too. Like with small businesses, it's not that like small businesses are good and big businesses are bad. It's like, no, we need to partner together because we each have something to offer um, to each other. Well, thank you so much for your very honest and openness. Um, that's all the time we have, but thanks again. Thanks again for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nuremberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.